1: These aren't the stories your mother told you. No, these are the other stories. (laughs) So... Over the last few years, you may have noticed us doing more in the way of special events and stories, from more and more elaborate Halloween projects to miniseries and writer showcases and more and more and more. And we've loved making them for you and hope you've enjoyed them. We hope you've enjoyed them so much that you'll understand that we're all very, very tired and you'll forgive us for keeping Christmas 2023 as one where the, the only things laid about deep, crisp and even are festive delights and not the charred carcasses the victims of satanic santas we love doing seasonal stories but quite frankly we're all just a bit over it this year so joy to the world have a jolly one and we'll see you all in the new year merry christmas you filthy animals and that is us done for another year they won't miss christmas stories Easter horror is the new hotness now anyway Glass of Nog and then Straight to bed for me I reckon Who's there? Who's there? Come in
0: you must beware, for no good can come of neglecting to tell a good ghost story, or fall in the run-up to Christmas, preferably in a prestige format of episodes with a seasonally appropriate wraparound story.
1: Dan? Daniel Wilcox, one of my original Hawk and Cleveland business partners, have you come to haunt me? Do those chains symbolise a terrible punishment that awaits me in the next life? Should I not change my ways? And now that I think of it, when, when did you die? <laughs> I, I didn't. Um, but I did come over to try and get you to reconsider the decision on doing a Christmas special this year. Also, if I'm staying, can I borrow a padlock to chain my bike up? You can't be too careful around this part of town. I'm really not sure, mate. I'm fairly certain I've just not got a Christmas story in me this year. I suspect it's going to take multiple convincing arguments, possibly set in differing time periods to get me to the level of inspiration required. That could probably be arranged. And given our long history of telling ghost stories together over seven years and 11 million downloads and counting, how about I start with a step into the past so I can show you how inseparable Christmas and creepy stories truly are? That that sounds lovely, actually. So you're going to tell me a ghost story of Christmas past, like in frequently parodied classic literature? Sure am, buddy. And I even had Kez convert one of our narrators into a ghost of Christmas past-like Spectre for the full effect. Let me just get the window Open. <coughs> open.
2: Boy, sounding like a ghost is really exhausting. Anyway, I'm performing a story for you that really invokes the sentiment of the season, if you ask me. Even though the story itself takes place long before Christmas as you know it. Humbug. I
1: beg your pardon? Humbug? I always have sweets around the house this time of year.
2: Oh. (sighs) Go on then. Not for me, thanks. I'm working. Speaking of... Tonight's story is... The Yule Fire. Gwen blew into her hands and rubbed them together to return some feeling to them. But father... Alden is as old as I was when I first tended the Yule fire. Surely he can do it this year. Eadric placed his hands on his daughter's shoulders and gave a slight squeeze. The fire must burn for twelve days and twelve nights. Without it, spirits will walk among us. Without the ashes, our fields will remain fallow. Your brother isn't ready to shoulder that burden. It's not fair. It's not but the fires must be tended by the young. It's always been our way, and as the daughter of an elder, it's up to you to give the right example. Tomorrow, one of the others will take their turn in the long vigil. Her father placed a cool kiss on her forehead and turned away to join the rest of the villagers. Three years Gwen had spent the first of 12 days of Yule by the fire slowly pivoting as long as her legs would carry her to keep the part of her that faced the blaze from overcooking while the other half froze to death. This year should have been her chance to join the feasting, to weave through the crowd in a string of dancers, Eleanor's hand in hers, Eleanor with her braids the colour of new oak and eyes the colour of the sky just before dawn, Eleanor who knew each growing thing in the woods and fields and whose fingers were tinged green more often than not. She stomped her feet, pulled her hood up higher over her head and scowled at the flames until her eyes smarted from the sharp light. Footsteps rushed up behind her and she turned. Alden ran up to her, a wide, eager smile on his face. Gwyn, you forgot your mittens and I saw you rubbing your hands and I thought you might want them, so... Yes, thank you. I warmed them by the fire for you. Thank you, Alden. What's wrong? Didn't you want... Nothing's wrong. Gwyn snatched the mittens and turned back to the fire. Are you... are you mad at me? No. Who are you mad at, then? I'm not mad. Your nostrils are flared and you're going red in the face. You always do that when you... Alden... His lip trembled and he wrapped his arms around his waist. Sorry, I just thought you looked cold and I I just wanted to help. I'm not mad. Just go inside. Please... I don't want you to catch a cold, is all. He snuffled and wiped his nose with the back of his hand, then shuffled back to their family's cottage. Gwyn crossed her arms and returned her gaze to the flames. Her little brother was a sweet boy. Too sweet, their father often said, and too prone to dreams and fancies. He loved following Gwyn around to help her with chores, though his help often caused her more work than it was worth. Gwyn didn't mind it much, usually. His stories and antics helped time pass more quickly, making up for the time lost in cleaning up his messes. But tonight should have been different. She remembered her promise to Eleanor to sit together at the feast and share a cup of mead. Would her friend be as disappointed as she herself was? She wanted to believe so, but she dared not be too certain. For all Gwyn knew, she was nothing more than slightly better company than the boisterous young men of their tithing. Blinking furiously, she grabbed one of the larger logs from the pile provided by the tithing's families and placed it upright as close to the fire as she could stand. Behind her, the shadows leapt and danced as if celebrating Yule alongside the people of the tithing. Overhead... The stars wheeled while Gwyn awaited the dawn. Now and then she rose from her log to stretch her legs and swing her arms. The woodpile dwindled as she fed the fire, making sure to alternate oak for strength and longevity, birch to cleanse the land, rowan for protection. The others had a meaning and purpose too, she supposed. Hazel, ash, hawthorn, alder, holly, willow... Her father probably expected her to know, but Gwyn shrugged and returned to her seat. She'd keep the fire burning. If that did not suffice, he could let another take her watch. Cold bit at whichever part she turned away from the bonfire. She should thank Alden in the morning. She wiggled her fingers in the mittens he'd brought out to her. She was grateful for them, but she'd be even more grateful for the first lightning of the eastern sky. The sunrise would bring with it the promise of a bed and some well-deserved rest. But first, she'd have to last through the night, with no other company than the crackle of the flames. Her yawns would no longer let themselves be stifled, and her eyes grew heavy, but she dared not close them too long. When strong hands suddenly gripped her shoulders, she gasped, "'Sleeping on your watch, Quinn. Eleanor's voice was rich and husky, her scent earthen and green as always." She didn't release Gwyn, but her grip softened. Gwyn's cheeks burned with a heat she couldn't attribute to the fire alone. I wasn't sleeping. Of course not. Just watching the bonfire through closed eyelids, were you then? Elena laughed and leaned forward. <laughs> her breath tickled Gwyn's ear and sent a shiver up her spine. She rose and turned to face Elena, who unpinned her coif and released her long hair from its tightly wound braids with a tiny moan. Gwyn's mouth went dry, and she swallowed. "'What are you doing out here, anyway? "'Don't tell me you actually want to be outside on a night like this.' "'Not quite, no.' She met Gwyn's gaze, all laughter vanishing from her face like mist in the morning sun. "'So then, you're here because?' "'You made a promise.' Eleanor shrugged and produced a stoppered jug and two glazed cups from a bag slung over her shoulder." I'm helping you keep it. Oh. Gwyn couldn't quite find the breath to say more. Indeed. Eleanor's grin sparked with mischief. Though I suspect we'll be sharing more than one cup. A matter of necessity to help stave off the cold. I'll, uh, I'll find you a seat. Gwyn tugged off her mittens, wiped her palms on her tunic, and pulled another log from the pile of all the things that might have happened during a Yule fire vigil. This one she had not expected. The scent of the mead alone was heady, laced with spices and somewhat dry. A stronger brew reserved for feast days, and even then watered down for the younglings. Its bite was mild enough to still be pleasant, more glow than burn. Eyes gleaming, Eleanor refilled their cups as soon as they were drained. Gwyn sipped her second cup more slowly. She should have refused it altogether, but it blazed inside her with something akin to courage. Almost enough to say something more meaningful than, oh. When Gwyn rose to toss more wood on the bonfire, the world spun about her. As she returned, Eleanor held up the flask. Another? Uh, thank you, but I'll land in the flames myself if I'm not careful. Alongside the next log... How about I make us some tea instead? Gwyn gently took the flask and replaced the stopper. Her fingers brushed Eleanor's as she did, and the touch reignited the heat blazing inside her. Eleanor shook her head. I wish I could call you a spoilsport, but you're wiser than I'm willing to admit. You really are your father's daughter, aren't you? It's why I'm out here, and the others are inside, feasting. Gwynne shrugged as she filled a small pot with water and set it by the fire to boil. "'If you'd rather forgo the tea and join the feasting instead, I'll stay, if that's all right.' "'Of course,' Gwynne took a deep breath. "'If she'd had a cup of mead in her hands then, she'd have gulped it all down. "'As it was, she'd have to do without the courage it lent her. "'Father always says we must tend the Yule Fire alone so nothing can distract us from our task.' But I'm glad you're here. So am I, and I promise not to distract you too much. The fire is larger than an ox. What could go wrong, anyway? Eleanor opened her bag, pulled out a large blanket, and draped it over them both. With a little sigh, she laid her head against Gwyn's shoulder and her hand on Gwyn's knee. Gwyn hardly dared to breathe. She dreamed of this, sure, but... What did one do when it actually happened? The boiling teapot, forgotten. Her fingers trembled when she laid her own hand over Eleanor's. When she leaned into Eleanor, it no longer seemed a matter of courage. When Eleanor turned her face up towards Gwyn's, warm honeyed breath fanning her lips, it seemed only natural to close the distance. Eleanor tasted of the mead, tang and spice, and of wordless promises in the dark. Gwyn awoke to a cold wind and awaited silence where the glow and crackle of flames should have been. The only warmth came from the blanket and Eleanor half-draped over Gwyn. Before her, the ink of the night sky diluted to a murky grey. Pulse racing, she shoved Eleanor's arm aside and clambered from under their makeshift nest. No, 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 no. Eleanor mumbled something in her sleep and reached for Gwyn. El, wake up! What? Why? Is it morning already? The fire! Gwyn's voice cracked with panic. Eleanor shot upright, eyes wide. (gasps) No. Yes! Gwyn's throat tightened. ''We've got to get it going again. Um, you, you go and find some kindling. I've got a tinderbox in my bag.'' Wrapped in the blanket, Eleanor shuffled around in the dark while Gwyn pulled on her tunic. ''If the elders find out, you know they'll blame every single misfortune this year on us.'' ''We did let this happen. Every year things go wrong, even if we do have a bonfire roaring for twelve nights. Even if we braid and keep corn dollies and follow the rest of their stupid traditions.'' Eleanor snorted. You mark my words, they'll predict a famine, a plague, a blight on the crops and three more disasters. They won't find out, there's still time. Gwyn's stomach lurched as she located her bag, shook the contents out and grabbed the tinderbox, a gift from her mother the previous year's midwinter celebrations. Her fingers traced the rose carved into the lid before she yanked it open and grabbed the flint and striker from their place. Silently, she headed to where Eleanor knelt at the cold remains of the bonfire. I'd hoped there would be some coal still smouldering. Gwyn reached for her hand and gave it a quick squeeze. We'll have a right blaze going before you know it. Don't you worry. The eastern sky grew paler as they worked together, but by the time streaks of purple washed out the last stars, they had a modest yet believable bonfire burning cheerfully. I'd better get inside before people start waking up. Eleanor took Gwyn's hand in her own, pressed a kiss to Gwyn's lips, quick but soft enough to leave Gwyn craving more, and faced the eastern sky. Her hand fell away, and at her choked cry, Gwyn looked up. The sky ought to be a riot of pinks and powdery greys and blues by now. Instead, she stared open-mouthed at wisps of leaden clouds streaked through with sullen dark red like the last dying embers of the bonfire she'd let die. Gwyn didn't know how long she and Eleanor stood side by side in silence under that angry glare. In their cottages, villagers stirred, preparing to greet the sun after the first of the twelve nights of midwinter. Above the horizon rose the first crescent of sunlight. But instead of hope, growing dread washed over Gwyn. The celebrated, much-awaited dawn showed not the blazing disc of other midwinter mornings, but a black, gaping maw ringed in flame. Frozen, Eleanor and Gwyn locked eyes in the half-dark. Around them, wailing voices dipped and rose in a tidal wave of despair.
1: Today's episode of The Other Stories... The Yule Fire was written and narrated by Jasmine Arch with wraparound segments written by Andy Conduit-Turner and extra narration performed by Luke Condor and Daniel Wilcox. The episode was produced by James Barnett, a.k.a. Jimmy Horace himself, with music by Dark Fantasy Studio and Beat Mechanic and Tim Coolig and Kirk Osameo and Duncan Muggleton and Tom Robson. And sound effect provided by freesound.org and Boom Library. The episode illustration was provided by Luke Spooner of Carry On House. A quick thanks to our community managers, Joshua Boucher and Jasmine Arch, and to Joshua Boucher and Karen O'Brien for helping us with mission reading, and of course to Ben Arrington, the Rudolph of content creation, guiding us through the dark and foggy pathways of the digital world with his bright ideas and illuminating content. Jasmine Arch is a writer, poet, narrator, podcaster, and all-round chaos for brains. She lives in a nook of Belgian countryside with two horses, four dogs, and a husband who knows better than to distract her when she's writing. Her work has appeared or is forthcoming in The Other Stories, NewMyths.com and hybrid fiction, among others. Find out more about her and her work at jasminearch.com. The Other Stories is a production of the story studio Hawk and Cleaver and is brought to you with a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. That means don't change it, don't sell it, but by all means share the hell out of it. So, Merry Christmas, you filthy animals.
0: Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince.